as I've said, uh, I'm local. I grew up in Gary, in Glen Park. My father worked in a steel mill. She was an electrician at a sheet and tin mill. And back then, two-car families were pretty rare. So we had one car, like everybody else. And my dad had a friend for decades that worked in the same plants, just lived up, up the road a little ways. And they coordinated. When his wife needed a car, my dad drove and left the car for them, their family. And when my mom needed a car, he drove the mills. And so it was kind of a great relationship. It was a lifetime friendship. I was in kindergarten. The only reason I know that was because mom picked me up after half a day of school. Half a day of school, it's kindergarten. And uh, she picked me up from school, and we were going to the grocery store, Edmar, on, on Ridge Road, a thousand years ago. And my dad had a funny thing about him. He, he always told mom, when you park in a parking lot, never take the last spot. Because he felt like cars would come around the turn, and periodically they, they, they would be daydreaming, whatever, go too fast, and hit that last car. That last car, your chances of getting hit are pretty good. That was, whether it's true or not, my dad believed it. We went to Edmar, there was no spots, and mom parked the last spot. And you're ahead of me. Don't, don't go ahead of me. <laughs> you, you're right. We came out of Edmar, and the backside was smacked in. Hit and run. My mom was never in a car accident in her life, but this was, so she was upset. We came home. My sister is seven years older than me, and, and, and mom just merely told Carol, I want dad to enjoy supper. We're not going to tell him about the car till after supper. Now, we, we didn't have a garage hooked up by our house like that. So my mom parked across the street with the dented side hiding. By the time my dad gets home, it's dusk. And so I'm, I'm five. I'm a kindergartner. So mom and Carol teamed, double teamed me. We don't want dad to look at the car till after supper. We don't want dad to look at the car till after supper. We don't want dad to look at the car. It, it was beat into me. So good soldier, my dad walked in the house. I said, don't look at the car till after supper. You got him. You got, you, that, that, that's one of the Tanner tales. You, you got tales of raising your kids. They mean so well and screw everything up. Kids, they're living, they're growing, they're making mistakes. We've been in a series looking at family. We, I thought we, we thought we'd begin this year, the first three Sundays, because I'm convinced family is ground zero. This is where Satan is attacking. And so we as the church need to have a real clear understanding of how the family functions and, and what the family is. And so we, we, we really began the first, the first Sunday, just a two-second review, on the parents being totally committed to Christ. Unless you're totally committed, you're, you're, you're not at the starting gate. There are people that, th that want God to bless them who have rejected God. I can't figure that out. Last week, we looked at husbands and wives, how you're wired differently, how you're to honor one another. The, the fact that you're wired differently is a blessing, not a curse. You complement each other. Today, we want to, let's, let's build on this. The last week, of course, is, is you, know, you built your family now. How do you raise your kids? Thin ice, again. I think I get it. Because that old line of proof is in the pudding. I'm not, I'm not bragging here. But Tammy and I had Jonathan and Julie. So we had both worlds. American Girl Dolls and Tonka Trucks. And a boy and a girl. And they have survived us. They have, we have inculcated our values into them. And we're watching them with our grandchildren. Uh, both of our kids uh, married wisely. And they're both in Christian homes. Our, uh, we, we, we're very fortunate. So they're saying, oh, good, Gene, you're going to tell us how you did it because you have the magic formula. You're going to guarantee that if we do what you did, our kids are going to turn out wonderful too. No. 
I can't figure this out. I, I have pastoral friends, I mean close, close friends, who I know their homes, I know their life. They did everything right. And their kids are still prodigals. We're hoping someday we'll come back to Christ. So I, I want to give the principles that we found worked incredibly effective, and, and the proof is in the pudding where, where our kids are. But I, I can't make a guarantee. But I'm convinced if you would inculcate some of the things we're going to share today, it will only strengthen your, church, your home and maybe strengthen the chances that your kids will follow your values, particularly your spiritual values. The critical verse I want you to see is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not make your children angry, but raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord. There's a lot there. Now, fathers here, frankly, could be parents. Ladies, I'm sorry, women didn't count back then. They're really dealing with the home. Okay, great. Don't make them angry, but raise them in the training of the Lord. How do we do that? Well, frankly, an important piece of the puzzle is traditions. Rituals. Family life needs tradition and rituals. It brings the family together. The more ritualistic the family is, the more steep they are in tradition, the closer they are one to another. The weaker the tradition, the weaker the ritual, the families tend to disintegrate. Show me a family with high degree of ritual. I'll show you a family where the kids are attached to their parents. If you're a married couple with a very high degree of ritual in your relationship, you're closely knit together. The opposite is true. Low level of ritual, lack of family commitment. Okay. So we got to get into a little bit of sociology first. What is a ritual and a tradition? Ritual and tradition kind of the same thing. But what is it and what does it do? Let me give you four parts. I'm going to define them and then I'm going to tie it into kids. Rituals done right always increase the solidarity, increase commitment to the individual, to the group. It's the ultimate educator and creates euphoria. Let, I, I'm going to walk you through all four, and then you'll, you'll, you'll realize when we pull it all together, whoa, that made a lot of sense for our kids. First, increase the solidarity. Show me a religious group. There's a high level of ritual. I'll show you a religious group that has a staying power in history. Think who has a tremendous amount of ritual? I would suggest Catholicism. How in the world do they survive 2,000 years of history? All the assaults, the wild popes of the Middle Ages, the Crusades, Reformation, and the Catholic Church is still around. What held them together? That sense of solidarity. They did the ritual. As you think about it, for most centuries, the participants didn't even understand the Mass. It was in Latin. They went week after week after week. How could they be so attached to a religious movement that had a ritual they didn't understand? The ritual drew themselves in. Then it collapsed, Vatican II. The Pope gave permission to vary the Mass. Now you've got them with guitars saying kumbaya in some Catholic churches. What happened? There's a splitting of the Catholic Church. South America doesn't want to run with Rome anymore. They used the ritual... You lose what caused you to be committed one to another. Kind of the second thing is like the first. Ritual increases the commitment to the group of the individual. The Jewish community is incredibly ritualistic about their religion. The interesting thing about that is their religion is not practiced in the church, in the synagogue. It's basically practiced in the home. Religious services are in the home, not the synagogue. 
The synagogue is go where you go for lecture and, and teaching. Religious services, religious, religious festivals in the Jewish community is always right in the home. And the father is the focal point of this worship. Whether it's Passover or Hanukkah, it always happens in the home. And as you look at it, the ritual is a centerpiece of the home. The percentage of Jewish broken homes is so much lighter, lighter than the overall population. Solidarity, unity, the ritual done by the Father. Maybe that's why Jewish people have not assimilated into the American culture. They've not been swallowed up by the American way of life. You take a Jewish guy from Israel, plop him in Indianapolis. Come back 10 years later, he's just as Jewish as he was when you dropped him there. This is not, this is not a cut down, this is a compliment. Why? He continues to perform the rituals. My first church was Oxford, Ohio. Miami of Ohio University, and there was a professor that attended our church, and their family was Jewish, and they invited us to Passover in their home. Now, the family that came to our church, it was their kids that were the professors, and they were atheists. But yet, even though they were atheists, they continued to do the Jewish feasts. Remove the ritual, and you remove what it produces. You can't help but admire them. All around the world, Jewish people speak in one voice. You can't help but admire them. Rituals, traditions, build solidarity and commitment to the individual or the group. Third, it's the ultimate educator. Did you ever listen to the beginning of the Passover feast? That our children might know the sufferings of the people of Israel when they left Egypt and joined the promised land. The whole service of the Passover, uh, that feast, it's about teaching your children the story, the dominant event in Judaism. Year after year after year, they teach the children again. It is the ultimate educator. So solidarity, commitment to the group, it educates. You want people to learn something they never forget? Give them a ritual. You want to teach them something they will forget? Just say this. Now, don't forget this. Come back three months later. What did I tell you not to forget? Do the ritual over and over and over and over. It's impossible to forget. Their teaching of Passover is the dominant event in Jewish history. The kids get it every single year. And by the way, the same thing happens in Christianity. The dominant event in Christianity is the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection Now, Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, he didn't go to the disciples and say, listen, fellas, don't forget this. What did he do? He gave us a ritual, communion. He even told them, do this in remembrance of me. He might as well said, do this so I make sure you never, ever forget. And as often as we eat and drink, repeating the ritual, the tradition, we cannot help but remember the price tag of Calvary. The implication is clear. Should you stop communion, You might forget the cross, and this has been proven true. There are faiths out there that do not partake of communion, and the cross has stopped being the centerpiece of their faith. Ritual provides education. You stop the ritual, you stop the education. So, first three, create solidarity of the group, brings commitment of individuals into the group, and education. Last one, it gives a sense of euphoria. Euphoria says, all is well. As long as we do the the tradition, the ritual, over and over and over, it gives that sense, all is well. There's a very important British ritual 
The daily feeding of the ravens on the grass of the Tower of London every day at 4 o'clock. And they feed the ravens all as well in the kingdom. Well, World War II, the bombs began to scare off the ravens. Churchill secretly ordered that the wings on the bottom of the ravens would be cut. They couldn't fly away. All during the blitz, at 4 o'clock every day, they fed the ravens, saying, all is well. It reassured. It gave a sense of, of stable, organized. We're still c- continuing the ritual. All must be well. If you're a true Englishman, true Englishman, no matter where you are in the world, it's tea time. If they stop, they've gone native. They're barbarians. The true Englishman. Rituals let us know who we are. Now, let's take those four pieces and and kind of lay them on top of our families about raising our kids. Too often we think raising our kids has to do with wise discipline. Yes. But discipline is only effective for what we're doing when we're not disciplining them. Family traditions and rituals are built the way we as a family celebrate events. Family events, Christmas, Easter, birthday, Thanksgiving. Some families have incredibly traditional and ritualistic birthdays. Cake, party, decorations, theme. As a, as a child, like a lot of little boys, I was absolutely nuts about a train. My birthdays, every year my mother would make a train cake. There would be a small cake that was an engine and a, another small cake that was a car and a small cake that was a caboose and, and the wheels were, were mints and all. That was part, I knew it was coming. Other families, birthdays come and go quickly. Christmas, we always read the advent calendar at supper. And we had an advent calendar that you kind of pull, pull, the, pull the things off each day, letting you know how close we're coming. That reading was part, that was what we did. A tradition is something that the kids say, we always did it this way. They know nothing else. It's theirs. At prayer time, our kids growing up, we held hands and prayed before supper. It is so fun for us to go to like Jonathan's house where his kids are older. When, when we're there in Alaska, time to pray. When those kids were very young, we go to Julie's house that has the adoption of, of the one, one and a half uh, one and a half year old and, and a brand new baby. Already the one and a half year old is going like this when we sit down to pray. Why? They've always done it that way. It's automatic. Rituals occur without you realizing it. Your kids have a ritual. Every kid on earth has a ritual. It's called bedtime or Armageddon. <laughs> you know some days are worse than others. You put them in bed. Water. Bathroom, tuck in this doll. I forgot to tuck in this doll. It's amazing. That's part of their ritual. We budgeted extra time realizing we have to go through their ritual. Our, our kids were actually very good. We, we, we had very little issue. Every once in a while, I'll give you the Tanner tale. It was a, maybe the fault is mine. Maybe I had a bad day. Julie was a, was a toddler, and, and she, Jonathan usually went to bed faster than she did. She always had more chores, more issues, more things to take care of. It was always Armageddon by the time she actually was down. This night, she, it, it, the traditions, she tucked her in, 
And then she had to go potty, tuck her in again. Then she had to brush her teeth, she forgot, tuck her in again. Then she forgot to wash her hands, tuck her in again. Then this doll had to be tucked in, tuck her in again. Then she realized that another doll didn't get tucked in. I, I was kind of losing my patience. And I went up and I said, Julie, we've taken care of this, 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 this. I, I listed, I, it was like six trips. And I said, you're, you're done and I'm done. Now, I, I, never, I never threatened. They knew if I said I'm going to do something, it, it was real. I said, Julianne, if daddy comes up one more time, I'm going to spank you. You're done. Good night, honey. I came downstairs and I bragged to Tammy. I said, you won't hear another peep out of that kid. Tammy starts laughing. She said, I, I, I said, I can't believe the guts of this kid. So, you know what, you, if you make a promise, you got to keep it. I felt that, I gave her a little spanking. Tammy is a better disciplinary, and my spankings were, kids says, can I go play in traffic? Sure, have fun. I, I, was, I, was, not, I was not a great disciplinary. So I gave her a little spanking, came down. Decades later, our, one night, it's so much fun when, when our kids are all together. Fact, just as a sidelight, we have our, our family in Alaska. We FaceTimed them. They said, part of our Christmas present, we're coming home in June. So Tammy will have her entire family around the table. Gee, will she be in heaven? I could care less. No. So when we're all together, part of it, when we're all together, it's laughter. And, and we were all sitting, tech, and, and they were telling Tanner tales about growing up and making fun of me and mom, and, and we were playing with them. And Julie said to Jonathan, did you ever tell him about the time that he came up to spank me? And Jonathan almost falls off the couch. He's laughing so hard. And, and I... I don't know what they're talking about. And she said, you remember that time that I kept getting out of bed and you said, one more time? I said, yeah, I felt bad, but I had no choice. Jonathan is laughing so hard he can barely breathe. And Julie said, are you going to tell him? And Jonathan said, well, that night, after you said that, I heard you. So I tiptoed from my room. You're ahead of me again. I tiptoed from my room to Julie's room and went, and tiptoed back. Well, He's a master sergeant in the army. He's 200 pounds of muscles. I can't spank him now. He could take me. So as I talk about putting the bed, don't feel like, boy, the Tanners did it perfect every single night. We were parents. But how do you put them to bed is incredibly ritualistic. We prayed with our kids, not together, but individually. And you say, yeah, I tried praying with my kids. My kids don't know what to pray for. They're so young. Said, now, now, Susie or Johnny, talk to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, uh, the window. And thank you, thank you, Jesus, for, for the light. And th Tammy solved that so brilliantly. By tradition, she would always pray first. And she would cue Jonathan and then cue Julie. After she prayed, she said, now, Jesus, Jonathan's going to tell you he did so good on the science test today. He's going to tell you about his test. Or now, Jesus, Julie played with, with her, her American Girl doll today outside and had so much fun. She's going to tell you about, she always ended about, she's going to, he's going to tell you about. And then I always concluded the prayer. And I always concluded about Jesus. Thank you that Julie had so much fun with American Girl. Thank you that Jonathan, I, I, I played off his prayer. And then we always, to every night, our kids said, thank you, Jesus, for how much we love Jonathan. Thank you for how the joy he is in our home. Talk about affirming. Thank you, Jesus, for Julie. What a joy she is. Our two grandboys, who are older now, Alaska family, when they were here, we would tuck them in. 
individually, and guess what, guess what, now it's not mom, it's Oma and Papa, guess what Oma did? Cued them right into what they should pray about. I finished up. We got our baby and our, our one-and-a-half-year-old adoptions as they're coming to our home down through the years. Guess what's going to happen? Sociologists claim if you put a child to bed highly ritualistically, they sleep better. Remember, rituals create euphoria. It gives them that sense, all is well. We just did the ritual. All is well. I can sleep. I can rest. No matter what a mess their day was. I mean, sometimes these kids that go to bed, they have no chance. They had a bad day at school. They got in trouble at school. There was a battle on the playground. They spilt their milk at supper. It was just a disaster day. And now you've thrown them in the bed, turn the lights off. They're half in tears. How on earth do you get them to rest? How on earth do you let them fall asleep? Easy! Do the ritual. And the greatest ritual of all is prayer. Ritual, remember, euphoria. After that terrible day, now we're doing the ritual. All is well. As parents, you decide. You're designing the culture of your home. You decide the rituals and traditions that you want. And maybe you're a single mom. You're outnumbered. I know. Even if you only have one child and it's one-to-one, you're still outnumbered. Or your spouse is not a follower of Christ. I would challenge you, begin the tradition. Because the tradition, bottom line is, we've always done it this way. The higher level of ritual, the higher level of solidarity in the family. Even at the tough times, the family ends up remaining loyal. So the question, how ritualistic is your family? What traditions have you built under your roof? Or are we just going through life together? More important, what spiritual traditions are inculcated in your kids as leaders you design. I, I love the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Does, does this not nail it? The opening song, tradition, tradition. Remember, I promised I wasn't going to sing anymore. I guess this broke it. In that opening number, every member of the family has a, has a, has a verse. The papa sings about what he does. It's the role of the papa. And the mama sings what she does. The role of the mama, the son, the daughter. They all have their traditional responsibilities, their traditions. If you've seen the play, it, it's really kind of cool. All through the play, Tre- Tevye, the father, breaks character, which you're not supposed to do, but it, it's done so well. He's in the play, and then he'll, he'll step aside, and he'll talk to the audience, explain something. Then he slides back in, he's Tevye again. After the song, he steps out, and he says, traditions, traditions, traditions. We have traditions for everything, the way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we dress. You may ask, where did they begin? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of his traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. That line. Solidarity, commitment to the group, education, euphoria. That one line, because of our traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. And the speech ends with the classic line, it's those traditions that help us keep our balance. Without our traditions, our whole lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. Without spiritual traditions, our families kind of end up as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. The story progresses and the traditions die. The ending's kind of sad because the musical ends with the, with the dissolving of the entire community the dissolving of the family. The end of the traditions, the end of the ritual, piece by piece, everything collapsed. 
It's possible to be people in the same room and not a family. It's possible to be people in the same room and not a family. My kids don't respond to me. How many traditions do you have? I just want to be my kid's friend. I'd rather you were the parent. We want strength, loyalty, spirit of oneness. Steep them in tradition and ritual. If you're a young family, you have such a privilege, you can begin immediately. What traditions are around Christmas beyond a tree and a ham? What spiritual traditions are around Easter? What spiritual traditions are around their birthday? What spiritual traditions are around the way you put them to bed? What spiritual traditions happen over and over and over so that when they grow up, they do it with their kids? Because we've always done it this way. Let's stand together this morning, please. Father, I wish there was a, a, a magic potion, a magic phrase that can guarantee if we just do this, our kids will carry on our values. If we just do this, our kids will turn out right. There isn't. The greatest challenge we have as parents is designing our home that our kids might flourish in. And I, I think Satan works hard to keep us focused elsewhere rather than designing our homes. We design our homes, not our kids. And today's kids' schedules are so much busier than even my, my kids, just a, a generation ago. Despite the pace, and the pace is maddening, may we have a spiritual, foundational, we've always done it that way in our home. So that as they grow up, to not do it that way seems foreign. May our homes be about you, where you are honored. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. As a kind of a fun tradition that I enjoy, us quoting scripture together, you probably guessed it's Ephesians 6.4, but as we get ready to quote it, let me just tell you real quick, uh, next two weeks I'm going to be out of town with somebody else speaking. So I'm back February 2nd. I kind of like people to know what we're doing. For the month of February, the four Sundays, we're going to teach four different names of God. The names of God are incredibly, incredibly important, and we must understand them. One of the Ten Commandments is, don't you dare take them in vain. What's he talking about? And why does God need all these names? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Adonai, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shaddai. Why does he need these names? We're going to break this down for the month of February, taking one name a week, and it will change how you approach God for the rest of your life. February is going to be a monster month. But our verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, let's say it together. Fathers, do not make your children angry, but raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping at Real Life this morning.